and they run through our ass like shit through a tin horn, man, and we could not stop them. It's ridiculous that they do. That was a huge calling. Well, we didn't miss it. You know, the typical rah, 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 zip, boom, bye, boom. You don't cuss. You don't drink. So what are your vices? I have been known to, uh, to chew a bit of tobacco when I get a little tired or watching film. Hey, I'm Cole Joe. I just love my Hummer. I have my Hummer. You need a Hummer. Tell them about it, Jojo. They've won the biggest championship, and that's a championship of life. Gap control. Everybody just do your job. You understand that? Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? Hey, buddy. How are you? <laughs> doing good, Shane. Doing good. Uh, we got the Gators fans fired up, so I'm a little fired up. This is going to be a fun little episode here. Oh, yeah. I've, I've been seeing the reactions already, Mike, so I know what we're diving into. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Shane. But before we get into all that, before we go around the league, uh, we did tease it on the last podcast. It turns out we did get that interview in. And it's none other than former Tennessee player Jabari Davis, who he reached out to me, wanted to talk about his uh, Legends of Tennessee football camp. So we got a phone interview we're going to jump to here. And, you know, I asked him, I also wanted to ask him, obviously, about his playing days. And I know you were really wanted to know about his recruitment. So I asked him about that, asked him about the future of Tennessee's program under Jeremy Pruitt. And then we get into his uh, Legends of Tennessee football camp. So let's jump to this interview, and then we'll discuss it on the other side. All right, we're pleased to be joined by Jabari Davis, a.k.a. the Gator Killer. Has a 3-1 record there during his playing career, of course, from Tennessee from 2001 to 2004. Like I said, 3-1 against Florida. He's also 3-1 against Alabama. There's not many people alive that can say that about either school. Uh, thanks for joining us, Jabari. We really appreciate it. And I appreciate you reaching back to me, man, and all. Uh... No connecting with you. So one question I really wanted to ask you, because, you know, we're all SEC football fans. We're big, huge college football fans in the South. But very, very few people will ever go through and experience what you experienced being, you know, a five-star recruit. I could, I can't imagine the coaches and, and assistants and just everything just kind of knocking at your door 365. Uh, can you give us just a little bit of insight on just – what was it like being uh, that highly touted as a recruit coming out of high school? Man, uh, 50 years ago, I know the <laughs> <laughs> But it wasn't, you know, 2000, you know, 99, 2000 was the year that I was uh, getting recruited the most, man. It's just a crazy time, dude. I can't imagine to be going through the recruiting process now with social media involved and so many fans get to be involved with it on Twitter and, you know, and all these different uh, publications. But um, it was a great experience, man. You know, I got to travel to a lot of different places, uh, met a lot of great coaches, um, you know, a lot of great uh, guys that are currently still playing ball. Some of, you know, some of the guys that I've met, not guys that I played with, but just on the recruiting rounds or, you know, big-time coaches now. And, uh, you know, just a great experience, man. You know, something that I can always, you know, tell kids about, you know, in my profession now as a coach, I always go back, you know, and I'm able to give them my testimony of, of, of what I went through and how to balance it all and, you know, how to, you know, go through that process 
the correct way and still be level-headed and humble because, you know, it is a lot that goes on for a kid 16, 17 years old and a lot of media in your face, a lot of microphones, um, you know, pointing at you and, and, and things can be very overwhelming for a teenager, but I'm glad that I experienced it. It was a big blessing in my life and I'm, uh, you know, I'm glad I'm able to give back to a lot of these up and coming uh, football players now. Now, I know you're a very proud VFL. You're very active on social media supporting your balls. So I'm not trying to get you in trouble here. But if you didn't go to Tennessee, is there another school that uh, maybe finished a runner-up or any other coaches that you really wanted to play for that uh, obviously weren't on staff at Tennessee? Oh, uh, man. When I was growing up in the state of Georgia, you know, it was a, it was a big, tough decision leaving the state of Georgia in 2001. That was uh, Mark Rick that hired when he came from Florida State. So um, I think that was a really big, big, big momentum changer for me to, you know, make me pursue Tennessee just a little bit harder. Uh, but, you know, I had to do it all over again. I would have chose Tennessee. But coming from the state of Georgia, it is a lot of pressure on a lot of homegrown talent to leave that state, but it was a lot of changes that were going on at UGA, and, um, you know, that was one of the biggest reasons that I decided to, you know, drop three hours of 75 off the top, but, you know, <laughs> Georgia always uh, showed me a lot of love, even as a player, you know, even when I come back, I still hear things about, hey, man, you should have had this, you should have had that, and I was like, man, you know, you never know what could happen, but Glad I'm ball. So let me ask you that about once you got to Rocky Top, obviously you know, a lot of success there. Like I said, all the incredible record against Florida and Alabama that, mm-hmm. I mean, every Tennessee ball is jealous of that at this point. What was your favorite memory from your playing days at Tennessee? Uh, I would say, man, that 2001 team, you know, somebody uh, tweeted something about the most painful losses as a Tennessee a couple of days ago, and they uh, mentioned the 2001 season and the loss that we had against LSU in the SEC championship game. And that still today haunts me, man. I have nightmares about that game because that was the last team that had, uh, you know, a real shot of playing in the um, national championship game. And we would have played that Miami team that was loaded, you know, the team that everybody says is the greatest team in college football history, mm-hmm. you know, but that 2001 Tennessee football team was loaded, man. That was the most time I've seen. Uh, I mean, as an 18-year-old being surrounded by so many guys that played um, in the NFL and so many first rounds that we had in that team, it was just a real, real special thing for me, man. And uh, those memories, you know, those games at the Swamp, those games at um, Alabama, and, you know, it was a real – uh, emotional year because you remember that was the year that 9 11 happened, mm-hmm. and uh, ready to play Florida that weekend of 9 11, and they canceled the game and they canceled every college football game that weekend. And I think they canceled the NFL games that weekend because of all the flight risks and things like that. So they pushed the game to early December, and it happened to work out in our favor. We had a lot of guys that were injured, and we got a chance to get back healthy. And we came in that game rocking and rolling, and we were hot and motivated to win. So uh, that 2001 season, as far as, as you know, as a team and 
just learning the expectations of, of Tennessee football, you know, and those leaders and those guys that already won a championship on a lot of his teams. So he still had a lot of great teachers and, you know, a lot of great uh, team chemistry. Coach Foreman didn't really have to do a lot, you know. He just sat back and just managed everybody and made sure that we were doing what we need to do on and off the field and academically. But, I mean, when you have great leaders like John Henderson and uh, Will Overstreet and Andre Lyle, you know, guys like that, man, I mean, it was very special. But, you know, solo and just games, you know, just individual performances, I would say, you know, the Florida game, the Arkansas game, um, I was an SEC player week those games, so those games really stick out to me as far as on the individual. Man, it's kind of depressing to think about. You just kind of made me realize it's been since 2001, Nick Saban's just kind of been looming over the University of Tennessee. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, man. You know, that was the whole start of you know, him taking over the SEC, you know, that, that uh, SEC championship game. Mm-hmm. You know, because we really – Put a beat down on them in the regular season. And we came back, this is a championship, man. And, you know, the game was pretty tight. And the last couple minutes in that last quarter, man, we just, you know, just got, you know, we just lost it. But uh, ever since then, man, people knew to put some respect on Nick Saban's name. All right, so enough about Tennessee's past. Last thing I wanted to ask you about the football team, what are your thoughts on Jeremy Pruitt and just the direction he's got the Tennessee Vols going here in 2019 and, and maybe even looking ahead beyond that? And I love Jeremy Pruitt. he got a real old school down there football coach uh, that cares about winning, that cares about recruiting, that cares about uh, putting us into that prime light that we had on you know, last decade or so, um, you know, but he's a guy that, you know, he's won and he's, he's had success um, everywhere that he's been, you know. So the only thing that Pruitt needs to do is just to recruit the caliber of players that can play in his defense and that can play in his offense. I mean, as you look at our coaching staff, we got the best coaching staff in the country. Every coach has, you know, I would say a four-star or five-star grade just on their coaching mm-hmm. ability, not even counting their uh, skills to, you know, to uh, recruit and their skills to develop um, elite talent. Not just elite guys, but guys that may come in underdeveloped, but, you know, they can just mold them into being some really great football players. So on paper, man, everything that you need, we just got to, get, I think, one or two more signing classes under Pruitt's name to get us back competing for SEC championship. But, you know, I like what I saw uh, last year. You know, we made a few mistakes to uh, lose big games, but I think we have some good momentum going into this season. Man, my biggest goal for this team is to just, you know, become eligible. You know, let's win in recruiting. Let's beat the games. I mean, let's win the games that we're supposed to win. You know, let's sneak and uh, beat up on a few people that have us as you know, uh, <clears throat> have us as an underdog. Uh, let's get back to beating Florida. You know, let's get back to just being competitive as we can against Alabama. Because I don't think that's going to go nowhere. But you know, we can get back to being competitive with teams like that. And you know, let's get guys in position to be successful. And let's call games. 
um, like we do the common. You know, we're not going to be afraid of anybody. I mean, we're Tennessee, you know, and we got to get back to being feared and being respected. All right. The main reason we wanted to have you on today is just to talk about the legends of Tennessee football camp. And for anyone that doesn't know, this is a football camp started up by Phil Fulmer, who obviously is the AD now at Tennessee. And once he took over that role, he couldn't manage these camps anymore. And you stepped up. You've become the face of this. Mm-hmm. Tell us about your Legends of Tennessee football camp. Well, the football camp was called a Coach Fulmer uh, Hall of Fame camp. And I worked it uh, for two years and, you know, just made sure the camp was ran really smooth. And when Coach Fulmer took the job, you know, he couldn't do it anymore. And I saw that it was a very unique and special thing of bringing former balls together and getting us back in the community, working with kids, coaching kids, teaching life skills, teaching kids on the history of Tennessee football. So I just had to keep it going, man. So last year was our first year on the mic. You know, just as me as the uh, leader, and, man, we had a tremendous turnout. Uh, we had over 100 kids, man. I had uh, Tennessee ball coaches from three different areas, and we want to continue to do something bigger and better this year. So this year we decided to take the camp, not just from the East Tennessee thing, but take it all across the state of Tennessee. So we're going to Nashville uh, this month. Next month we'll be in the Tri-Cities area. We'll be in Memphis, and we'll have our big three-day camp uh, here in East Tennessee up in the Kodak Sevierville area, man. I just wanted to really uh, – Get former balls back together. You know, that VFL thing is something unique and something that's very special to a lot of us. And we need to do a better job of getting guys together because you never know what your teammate or what your brother may be dealing with. You know, we all have you know, kids now and personal things going on with families, but at least one day or three days out of your spring, out of your summer, let's get back and get into the community and teach them kids' life skills. You know, teach them everything that we learn so we can be successful. And we had an opportunity to put on to uh, put on the orange white one day. And there's little kids that need them, you know, to uh, hear that and be around that, man. If you look at youth football now and where we're going, all these kids are Florida State fans, Florida fans, Clemson fans, because of what they see on TV, you know, of their big favorite players that they uh, seeing they recognize, but they just don't know the history of Tennessee football. So let us get back in the community. You know, let's raise these kids the right way. Let's mold them the right way. You know, let's get them fed in a lot of Tennessee football knowledge. And most importantly, you know, let's get them all the life skills that they need to be successful off the field. Because if you look at the news now, man, there's so much tragic stuff going on with the youth and bullying and kids making fun of one another and, 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 and kids just battling a lot of different issues, man. A lot of tragedy going on you know, for a lot of kids uh, 14 and under. So I think as us being these heroes to a lot of the parents and grandparents, let's you know, unite everybody together and just raise them and coach them the right way. And um, like I said, man, it's, it's it's a football camp, but it's really a life camp. So, you know, kids are going to be learning a lot of different skills, a lot of um, a lot of different drills, just everything that we learn from UT and even having, some, you know, some pro football background because a lot of the uh, coaches play in the NFL, uh, you know, pro bowl football players, you name it, man. So we're going to give everything that we learn back to the youth. 
Now, do you got any other former Vols helping you out at the camps this year? Oh, man, I got a list. I can't even name them all, man. Uh, you go to my Twitter page, you go to utlegendscamp.com, utlegends, uh, with the list on the end, camp.com. It has a list of all the coaches. Uh, every city will have a different group of coaches. So, you know, Middle Tennessee will have some of the guys uh, the AUT that was working on getting Albert Haynes uh, Justin Harrell, Eric Westmoreland, Cedric Houston, General Riggs, Joey Kent, uh, you name it, man. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. This summer, I'm never working on getting Cam Sutton to come out and hang out. I talked to T. Martin a couple weeks ago. Uh, he's going to try to come out and just hang out, uh, meet and greet some kids, take some pictures, sign some autographs for everybody. So, it's going to be a lot of fun, man, but uh, it's so many coaches, man. I just named just a few guys, but we'll have over, i say over 40 former balls, you know, and it's a lot of us all over the state. So I'm currently trying to reach out to guys to see what they're up to, you know, and to get us back together and get us checking in on one another, man, and make sure everybody's doing okay and everybody's family's okay. So that's the VFL brand. And that's what I'm trying to inspire, just to keep us working, keep us in the community, keep us saving and changing lives. Yeah, and I'm here on your website. So you, April 27th, that's going to be the Nashville camp. That's a one-day camp. Yes, sir. May 11th, that's in the Tri-Cities area. That's a one-day camp. May 25th, that's in Memphis, Tennessee. That's another one-day camp. And then June 20th, 21st, and 22nd, that's the Kodak camp. That's going to be a three-day ultimate camp. Uh, so everyone got to check that out. And the website, once again, is utlegendscamp.com. You got anything else um, on the camp before you jump off here? Uh, no. No, sir, man. I appreciate you, man. Let validation know and a lot of these kids uh, know what we have going on. And the camp is catered for kids from the elementary school level to the middle school level. So you know, we're taking kids from six years old all the way to 14 years old. So we can really uh, get them trained the right way, get them coached the right way, get them motivated the right way, and, you know, be inspirational to those guys before they go to high school. So they'll learn everything they need to learn, football, life skills, you name it. You know, we just want to make sure they're polished up right. Have you seen that uh, there was a viral video going around on Twitter about a week or two ago? It looked like it was a seven-on-seven camp where the defensive back was facing the the end zone. (laughs) You're not teaching anything like that at these camps, are you? (laughs) Yeah, man. You know, when I coach the youth seven-on-seven team, man, it's, you know, the thing about seven-on-seven is very good in the offseason. It's all about developing skill and keeping kids working, but it's becoming a dog and pony show because it's, you know, you got coaches yelling and screaming on the sideline, fighting people. You got players wearing sunglasses, fanny packs, having money in their socks, making it rain on kids. And you got kids, you know, doing all this silly stuff, man. It's not going to get you better, man. You know, just don't put it out there. And just don't send a message like that to the young, you know, up and coming guys that see that stuff because. You know, these guys are becoming just just clowns for football. But I saw that tweet, uh, I think it was last week, on Amari Rogers' page, and I was like, Lord, man, it is. We got kids, 
they can't even catch a football. They want to open up that one every day. <laughs> you know, even my old kids. I mean, they had to catch it too bad before you learn how to do it. Open up that and catch. But that's the generation we're living in, man. Everybody else, they just want to do all this all-star stuff and that develop a lot of true fundamentals. So that's, you know, another main idea of this camp, you know, teaching the correct fundamentals of the games because, you know, a lot of parents think that, hey, you know, my son has never played football. He's still struggling, and they try to try out for this position and this and that. But they, you know, they haven't mastered the skill of tackling and blocking. You know, so let's work on the true fundamentals of the game before you learn how to master another position. You know, let's learn play the game the correct way. Let's learn how to tackle the correct way. Let's learn how to block. Let's teach you the you know the importance of blocking, not just with your hands and your leverage. But with your feet as well. So, you know, we're going to make sure every kid will get coached up the right way. And, you know, we want to have a quality camp. You know, we're not focusing on the numbers so much, but just, you know, just really emphasizing the, the you know, the correct teaching of great skill and being a great football player. Well, it sounds like great stuff. I highly recommend it. Again, if anyone wants to check this out, go to utlegendscamp.com. You can find all the information about the coaches that are going to be there, the camp schedule. Uh, there's even contact information if you need to reach out to Jabari or anyone there. So I highly recommend you do that. Uh, I really appreciate you joining us today. I appreciate you, man. Take care, bro. All right, Shane. So a pretty good interview there, I thought, with old Jabari Davis, the Gator Killer. And hell, sh- hey, should, should probably go by the Alabama Killer, too, with that record he had against him. But uh, <laughs> what did you think of that? Oh man, we're just we're just scaring all away the Gator fans, aren't we? Here we go. <laughs> oh man, those were the days, brother. I loved it. I loved the interview. I loved, you know, he mentioned uh, one of the worst games was uh, that 2001 LSU game, and you know, I was I was at college. I was I was going to UT uh, during that time frame, and. Uh, it was hard because here LSU came up the first year and we beat the brakes off of them during the season. Kelly Washington had like like two or three touchdowns. That's that's when everybody you know coined the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were pretty excited about our chances and and it just seems like we were going in the right direction. Of course, with nine eleven hitting, they moved the Florida game back. And you talk about one of my all time favorite games was uh, when we went down there to the swamp in 2001. And, and nobody nobody thought we had a shot. Everybody was, you know, predicting Florida to be the uh, national champ contender with Miami that year. And uh, we walked away with a W, man. And only to be destroyed, not destroyed, just made some horrible, horrible mistakes in that LSU championship game down in Atlanta. And, uh Golly, I know I wasn't on that team, but I was a part of that team, brother. And I, I wish we had it back and had a chance, you know. Not saying that we would have beat Miami, but we would have had an opportunity, you know. Uh, yes, one that of we... the one of the great what ifs of college football history, right there. And I think that that Florida game, if memory serves me correct, that was Steve Spurrier's final game in the swamp. And of course, it was a loss handed to him by Tennessee. So. That kind of uh, put the final nail in the coffin of Spurrier's career because he, not long after that, he unexpectedly uh, announced he was leaving. You remember that? Yeah, man. I mean, that was just 
I don't know. It felt like, I mean, you got to remember, this is three years removed from a national championship victory, you know. So it felt like we were back, and uh, we never got back. That was the highest we've been since 98, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, offseason, that's a great time to go down memory lane. I think that's one of the best things about the SEC. Just You can just hear it in Shane's voice there, how much he cares about <laughs> his Tennessee football, and everyone out there cares about their team, and that's, you know, that's why college football is awesome. And I think it's I think it's special, man, doing these camps. Uh, something I grew up, I played football, you know, since I was five years old, you know, and the camps were a big part of my life. And uh, I think it's awesome that he's continuing that. Uh, I think it's real important for kids to get out. You know, he he joked about putting the video games down and going outside. You know, and you know, I went to some killer camps growing up. I went to Phil Fulmer's uh, offensive line camp there at Tennessee, and uh, the McKenzie brothers, they used to have a camp. I think they're still going, you know, and uh, it was real cool to be out there with players that not only played for the university that I loved, but, you know, went to the next level. I mean, you're seeing active, you know, NFL players walking around out there, and that's what you were aspiring to be, so – I don't know, man. You know, we didn't vacation a lot growing up, but we sure did a lot of camps, and I, I freaking <laughs> loved it, man. <laughs> yeah, and I thought that was a, just a great message of, you know, not only teaching football, but teaching life lessons to a lot of people that I don't want to say they're not getting at home because obviously I don't know. But if someone that you really respect and look up to and has been to, like you were saying, has been where you want to be, I think that message resonates a lot stronger. So, I mean, this yeah. sounds like a great opportunity for a lot of uh, young aspiring football players to to get out there, get some fundamentals, and uh, just learn it the right way from some people that clearly they, they excelled at a high level, excelled at the highest level, you could say. Yeah, man, absolutely. You find new role models. I mean, I remember being at one camp, and we got to – it was the first time I ever got to meet Reggie Watt. And, uh, you know, he's telling us about his book and stuff. And, man, after that, I was hooked. I was a Reggie White fan from, day, you know, the first time I met him. So uh, you never know the camps. You get out here and you, you find one of these players, and next thing you know, that's what you're aspiring to be. All right, Shane, enough about memory going down memory lane there. <laughs> I was a lot better shape back in, Mike. You know? <laughs> i never forget, real quick story, I was at Fulmer camp. And uh, I can't remember who the offensive line coach was, but he came up and, uh, you know, after drills, they, they, they kind of single out a, a lineman in that class, you know, and he came up to me and he said, hey, son. And I said, hey. And uh, he says, you do, you've been doing awesome out there. been doing a great job, you know, and that's big. I mean, this is Tennessee offensive line coach talked to me. And uh, he said, uh, so uh, how old are you? And he goes, you're, you're 13, right? And I said, oh, no, I'm 14. <laughs> And he goes, oh, okay, all right, like that. So I didn't get the award, and I wish I would have lied and said I was 13 because I think I was going to get it for that class. <laughs> <laughs> when he found out I was a lot older than I was than he thought. So I was like, all right, man, so enough about the camps. <laughs> all right, Jay, let's go around the league. Let's do it. Now let's go around the league. We haven't decided how we're going to play the guys, so I wouldn't tell you if I did. So, you know, I don't mind you asking a question, but I don't need to answer it. You know, I mean, I'll be whistling Rocky Top by the end of the week. All our players, I mean, it's just like, right? I mean, just hear it over and over, and, you know, like every other, every third song, it'll roll through within the crowd noise that we play at practice. So you just, 
uh, get used to it. It's, it's a catchy tune, right? I mean. This game's gonna be a street fight. This game's gonna be a street fight. I mean, some of you guys don't know who Kimbo Slice is. Hopefully, you do. Um, and you go back to it, man. This isn't a sanctioned fight. This is a street fight. I mean, this is the SEC. So, man, it's time. It's time to put on the hard hat, lunch bail. Let's get to work. All right, Shane, we teased this earlier in the episode. I got to start here. Like I said, I started a little controversy. I didn't even know I was really doing it. And then Dan Mullen kind of spoke on it. We'll jump to Dan Mullen here in a moment, but we're going to start here in Athens. Oh, dog, sick him! <laughs> Kirby Smart met with the media recently, and of course, you know, we touched on it on our last podcast. Georgia's announced the home-and-home series with Florida State. They've announced an additional home-and-home series with Clemson. They've already got home and homes against Texas, UCLA. They're finishing one up this year against Notre Dame. They've got Oregon, Virginia. I mean, they've got, I've looked it up, they've got 12 years of at least one home and home non-conference game coming up. Uh, There's two years where they have three Power 5 opponents, because keep in mind, they play Georgia Tech on top of all these things. And I know Georgia Tech is not that great right now, but they just hired Jeff Collins. I mean, former Sabren assistant. I mean, they're they're likely to going to get going. Uh, so that that it's not a complete joke to just to overlook Georgia Tech. Um, but I'm getting fired up just talking about it. So let's jump to what <laughs> Kirby Smart had to say here. Uh, I think he hit the nail on the head when he's talking about the scheduling. All right, I'm thinking that to get in the playoffs as the future goes, I don't know if they'll ever expand it. That's not for me to even kind of divulge on, but I, I do think that you're going to need a quality of schedule to do that. I think that there's going to be two lost teams in the future. They've got a really tough schedule that will be able to make that. Um, I also think at the University of Georgia, you, you should be able to recruit the finest, best players in the country out of your own state and across the country because our academic institution is so highly thought of. So I want to have the best players. I want to play the best teams. Kids come to the college to play big games. They don't come to play I would never name anybody, but they don't come to play anybody, the Sisters of the Poor. They want to play the best teams. So we want to go schedule the best teams. Unfortunately, you can't schedule these games but seven to ten years out. And that's so frustrating to me because I can't think about seven to ten years out. I'm trying to think about tomorrow and this year, and and, and you're having to schedule way in advance. But we thought three Power Five opponents, non-conference, would be – not groundbreaking, but we thought it would be a new thing, and we're not afraid of that. I'm not afraid to go out and play. I mean, you look at the NFL teams, and I know there's those are you know different players, but they play 16 teams in a season that are all good. There's no cupcake in the NFL. They play back-to-back-to-back quality opponents, and we want our fan base to get that. We also want our fan base to get potentially what might be seven consecutive home games, non-conference power five opponents. And we're trying to get that lined up for them and, and play some good rivalries. I think it's going to help us in recruiting. I always do. And, and I like playing in Atlanta as well. So you want, in 2028, 2029, you have three power fives. You want that every year? Do I want it every year? Yeah. That's going to be hard to do in 2020, 2021, 2022. Why is that? Because it's so set. They're already set. Right. So what we're trying to do is schedule that out. We're not running from power fives. We think that that's going to be the, the lay of the land. I think that the... The fan and what they're asking for and the ticket prices they're paying, they want to see those kind of games. And I mean, the SEC's brutal. I don't think anybody would argue it's the toughest league when it comes to week in and week out. Now you're going to add three games on top of that. 
I think that with 85 scholarships that that remains, that you can put a quality team together and you can go play those kind of teams and you can build yourself. They've proven that the later games in the year have a more impact on who makes the playoffs. So if you can get a, a power five team, non-conference, late in your schedule, I'm talking about late being the back four or five, you've got a chance to spike and send yourself into that conversation. All right, Shane, I think you can hear it there from Kirby Smart. I think he made a lot of great points. And Georgia's being really wise about this. They're looking ahead, looking ahead to potentially college football playoff expansion. I think that's something that's potentially not getting discussed enough. You know, they're Mm -hmm. looking ahead to make sure if it is eight teams, if it is six, whatever the number is going to be, that committee is going to be looking at non-conference scheduling. And beyond that, just, you know, helping recruiting and making his program a national brand, even though it, it already is. Uh, I mean, I can't find any fault with what Kirby Smart's saying here. Can you? No, I I love the idea. And in fact, I didn't even really think about expansion when I was thinking about 2033. You know, I made all these jokes about me being older, but you know, by 2033, we may have a totally different structure, and these games are set. One thing that he did point out, and I'm a firm believer, is it would be nice if you could, if they could not schedule anymore like say for instance we we've got most teams have got at least eight years scheduled out (laughs) right like you know don't don't do it for five years for five years we can't schedule any new games and then that way we're we caught ourselves borrowing from the future you know if we just if we go in a uh like a i don't know what you said like a hold Mm -hmm. on scheduling and then that way you can schedule teams that are more competitive you know there's something about like Say, for instance, Oregon, you know, sometimes some of these teams that are playing Oregon right now were scheduled when Oregon was on top of the world. You know, they're not now. So it's just I think he's right in that aspect and and just saying, you know, hey, I want to make a game schedule three or four years out. I don't want to do it 30 years out, 20 years out, you know. Yeah. Like what if the maximum was like two years out? Yeah, I think coaches would love that. You lose elite recruit, especially a quarterback. You call up that Mm -hmm. coach. Let's schedule the damn game right now. I mean, that'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and who's to say uh, 15 years from now, there's not a new type of uh, committee or uh, selection process for these games. And maybe strength of schedule becomes a bigger factor because, I mean, let's face it, a lot of these games are not filling up. Mm-hmm. And because when you got a non-conference team, the, the, they're not showing up. They're not selling tickets. It's not getting on the air. Who's to say 10 years from now, they say, hey, we're going to make a bigger emphasis on strength of schedule, and then and now you've got this 10-year lag of trying to get competitive teams in your house. So I don't know. I just I like the approach. I, I, I think it's gutsy, and uh, but it's going to make for some great ball games, man. Now, on the complete flip side, Shane, let's jump down to Gainesville. Dan Mullen met with the media on Thursday, and, you know, no surprise, this topic came up. He was asked about the non-conference scheduling. He threw a shot there at Georgia, which I think is kind of comical. You know, that's uh, Dan's a pretty smart guy. He knows, he, he knows how to mess with people, and he's mm-hmm. he had a nice little smirk when he said this. But here's where Dan gets completely off the rails uh, when he starts talking about the fact that if they're going to schedule someone, that means dropping Florida State. And then he goes on to say, 
hell, Florida's, Florida fans are fired up about this schedule we got coming up against South Florida. <laughs> so let's <laughs> jump to these comments. I mean, I can't even make it through it without laughing. <laughs> I, I know you don't have a huge hand in the schedule, and I'm sure you have some oh, I input. Do. Oh, you do? Yeah. Well, how, how aggressively do you want to see Florida's schedule going forward? Uh, we, we play Florida State, so people are trying to catch up to us with how tough our schedule is, to be honest with you. I mean, we play Florida State every year. Right. I mean, people made big, I guess, if Georgia's playing them, that's they're trying to catch up to us, I guess, and, and toughen their schedule because we play one of the toughest schedules. Um, I think, boy, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody non-conference next year. We're playing Miami and Florida State. I just mean long term. Do you see, would you like a home and home like they're maybe looking at Oklahoma? That's a report. I don't know if it's true. Would you like to get something? Well, I would, like I said, we already have that with Florida State. Okay. I, you know, I think that's one thing that probably gets looked down upon. Um, would, would everybody? I would. Would it be better to drop Florida State and schedule Oklahoma? That nah, probably wouldn't go over so well. Uh, so we already have that in scheduling. Uh, Scott and I talk about it. You know, we play one. We play in the Southeastern Conference, so we're already playing one of the toughest schedules in the country. Uh, you know, within within recruiting philosophy, one of the, the other tricky things we do is we play, you know, the chance every other year we're playing a home game away from home already. Uh, we want to make sure we keep enough home games here in the swamp for our fans to come see our, our guys play. I mean, this is one of the greatest stadium in college football. To be able to make sure we're playing enough games in there. Um, and, you know, so I think that's what's, that's what's always um, – tricky we're always trying to do what's best for the program uh and play games that are uh that fit the program i've always been under that deal i, I love uh, you know i i want to do what we think's best for the program you know i mean and i think when you look scheduling wise we even since i've been here we try to do that um with who we've scheduled you know I, and and also try to make it intriguing for people and fun i mean like we have south florida coming up on the schedule that's a, you know, that's probably a much bigger game in the state of Florida than it would be to people in, you know, Montana. Um, but they're more concerned about the Montana-Montana State game. Um, they, that's a big game for people in Montana. It's probably not as big a deal for people here. So I think we've tried to really pay attention to schedule that way and uh, make a schedule that's good for the program and good for, our, for the Gator fans. All right, Shane, I mean – May, I, I don't know. People on, on Twitter are <laughs> blasting me saying I'm biased, but it's like, how can you – I didn't go to Florida. I didn't go to Georgia. Uh, neither did you. You know, as, mm -hmm. as a casual observer, how can you listen to Kirby Smart and then Dan Mullen and just – I don't understand how Florida fans are defending this. I, you know, honestly, because they're on two different levels, brother. I mean, Georgia, Alabama, teams like Clemson, they've made it. They're there. And I, I think they think they can beat anybody. So scheduling these tough teams, they don't bat an eye, especially if you're doing one or two of them a year. Florida, on the other hand, a lot like, uh, you know, these next tier SEC teams, they, they're afraid to schedule somebody like that because that may be the one game that knocks them out of a, of a playoff opportunity. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a firm believer, though, if you win the SEC, you're going to make a playoff, uh, even a two-loss team. So, you know, comparing, uh, you know, what he, he talked about, Montana and South – I mean, that's – Montana and totally, Montana State. 
Yeah, yeah, Montana, Montana State, like, that's a big deal. Like, Florida and South Florida is a big deal. No, no, Florida and UCF would have been a big deal last year, but I guarantee if you schedule UCF now, 10 years from now, UCF's probably not going to be relevant. We're going to be talking about another Cupcake game. So I, I think you got to pick, if you're picking a team uh, to play out of the conference, you pick somebody that's historically been a great team. Has Florida State been bad lately? Yes, but they've also had some great games. They've also won a national championship. So, you know, there's going to be years when that's a real good ball game. Um, but to compare USF and and then in the same hand talk about Georgia scheduling teams like Clemson and Texas and you know I mean come on that's that's night and day brother. Yeah, and the thing that a lot of Florida fans are hanging their head on the fact that they're playing Miami this year, but once mm-hmm. again, that's an in <laughs> that's an in-state game. That's a game that now it's not Florida's fault that they just fired their coach. So I'm I'm not trying to go down that route, but. Again, Florida refuses to leave the state. They didn't do a home-and-home. It's a neutral site game. Mm -hmm. And if they're going to hang their head on Miami, Shane, since 2005, Florida has only played Miami twice. So we're we're going back over a decade. They've faced them twice. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I'm not buying it. And then here's another thing, Shane. People think I'm, I'm trying to pick on Florida. Do you remember this time last year? There was a story came out about the tickets being down at Florida, and we were just wondering if fans were excited. And yes. the Florida fans came out and said, well, look at the schedule, you dummy, and I'm going to read you the schedule. So here's the home games Florida had last year. Charleston Southern, Colorado State, LSU, Missouri, South Carolina, and Idaho. And what, mm. what would fix that, Shane? Scheduling a fucking home-and-home. Home. Like, that's what <laughs> that's the point of – that's what Georgia's doing. They're not scheduling exactly. home-and-homes because they're like – well, we just want to beat the hell out of everybody and show that Georgia's the best football in the world. They want to. Mm-hmm. They want to. They want their fans to see Texas coming to Athens. They want mm-hmm. to see UCLA and Athens. And then on the flip side, if you know, if you if you have the money, go out to Pasadena, get to see your team play in the Rose Bowl. I mean, that's awesome. Go to Austin, Texas, get to see Georgia play in Austin, Texas. That's awesome. That right. that's the point of this. It's not. <laughs> and it's an added bonus that if your team wins these games, you're going to look better in the college football playoff rankings. Exactly. I agree, man. I, I 100% agree. But look at, like, Tennessee. I don't want to – and I'm just – I'm being selfish, but I don't want to schedule teams like Clemson and teams like Oklahoma right now, even though Oklahoma's on the schedule coming up. You know, I want to make sure that we're getting those six in because I'd like to go to a bowl game, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but Florida is coming off a of 10 and 2. And, you know, there's a lot of people down there think that they've turned to leave and that they're going to be a relevant program again. Well, to be relevant, you got to start scheduling these big boys. So, and they're not doing it. They're not, there's no plans of doing it. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know what to say, Shane, except. Like Dan Mullen says, I hope they have a hell of a time with that USF series. I mean, it's, that's going to be a barn burner. <laughs> what are they, the Bulls? Yeah, yeah, they're going to be great. I can't wait to see them. Now, are they – I mean, last year was – let's just talk USF for just a second. Weren't they kind of good last year? Or did they get – they played uh, – I think that was two years play? ago they were good. Let's jump on down to Baton Rouge, Shane. Go Tigers. Where a guy who don't talk too much, Coach O. Talking about that, the one thing he is talking too much about is his damn offense, Shane. I'm getting, I'm almost tired of hearing about it too. We've been hearing it 
at LSU Baton Rouge for a number of off seasons, time and time again, how the offense is improving. These comments from Braden Fayoku, Shane, when I heard them, they kind of blew me away. I've ne- I've literally never heard an LSU defensive player talk about the offense this way. So this kind of this stung me a little bit here. Let's jump to this clip and then we'll discuss it. It's tough because you know when they're out there um, and they're doing the things they do, you kind of ask yourself like do we suck or is our offense really that good, you know? Um, and that's the question we ask ourselves. Like, we're watching film and, and they're doing all these new RPOs and, and we're getting run blocks, but coaches drilling in our ear, like, to get after the quarterback, but we don't know it's a pass. It's a run play or it's a pass play. It's a run-pass option. And um, that's the thing. It's so tough. Like, Coach Brady has and, and Coach Ensminger have worked so well with implementing in this new offense um, that you can't, you got to pick your poison, you know, and it's been so hard to adjust because now they're they're going so fast. Like you, you talk you talk about teams that try to go tempo, but when they're wearing you out and you think they're tempoing and they're running the ball down your throat doing it on tempo pace, like it's super hard. We have faced offenses like that, but the athletes we have in this offense makes it a lot harder. Um, a lot bigger, bigger guys on the edge. I mean, D. Anderson, Stephon Sullivan, Justin Jefferson, um, Jonathan Giles, Jamar Chase. Um, Terrence Marshall, just guys who can actually run and catch. You know, sometimes you play teams, they have one or two fast guys. Um, our offense is always rotating receivers, which makes them fresh. And when you have fresh receivers, you can come in and run routes on DBs who have just defended a nine route, and now they're tired and got to come back and defend it again. You're going to get gassed on defense. And so um, facing these guys every day, um, the fits they give us, it makes us better as a defense. It's good because I hate it now. Um, but on Saturdays when the fireworks go off, I'm hoping it all pays off when we're up 50 on a team or, or you name it, and all of a sudden LSU's converted to a spread school, even though I know Coach O doesn't like saying that. <laughs> but, uh, no, nah, it's, it's going to pay off in the fall. All right, Shane, sounds like the <laughs> old Dave Aranda's defense doesn't know how to stop the offense. What do you make of that? <laughs> well, I mean, how many spread offenses are they going to face this year, you know? I yeah, let me ask you something, Mike. I'm just curious, you know, when the ones are going against the ones, and let's just say it's a team like like Georgia Tech, okay, and you're going against the ones. So you're constantly going against – I mean, I know they got a new coach now, but in the past they've always been going against that option. Mm-hmm. Do you think that hinders them when they jump into conference play and face teams that don't run the option? I'm just curious because now they're, they're all about this spread, this up-tempo, but – what happens when they go to, uh, you know, another school, Florida, for instance? They're not going to be – I mean, they'll be a little up-tempo, but it's going to be a night and day compared to the offense they've been practicing against all offseason. Yeah, I mean, how could it not? I mean, it, that's it's the same effect, like you were saying, when a traditional defense, you know, they have to train in the offseason because they're opening against Georgia Tech. You, mm-hmm. I mean, they can't – because they, they don't know it, they don't practice it. It's completely foreign to them. I mean that's that's the other that's the same deal. So that's why yeah, I think you really see the triple option go out because uh, you know players don't like playing it, they don't like defending it, so yeah. it doesn't prepare them for the rest. And you know what? I'm sorry, and too because when the number ones are going against, let's say for instance Alabama, or let's say they're going against Alabama. Well, the twos will be running Alabama's offense all week, you know. But it's a it's they're twos for a reason. They're not starters, so the competition's not near as high. So it just 
it feels like there's a competitive advantage for this offense that we're about to see, but it also feels a little bit like the defense may be not getting the reps they deserve. Well, I'm glad you went there, Shane, because that was going to be my comment. If the offense is looking so good, I mean, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to LSU's offense there, but that tells me more about how poor the defensive backs are playing for LSU. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously a huge concern. They're losing a couple guys. Now, they still have some tremendous players. I mean, Grant Delpit may be their best player next year, and they signed the number one cornerback in the nation, Derek Stingley. It sounds like he's as good as advertised. So I'm not suggesting they don't have the players, but I don't know. I'm wondering if those pieces are, are just not meshed well. And they don't have to be because it's only spring. No. But mm-hmm. that would be my main takeaway. So while everyone's going to be fired up to see this offense in the spring game, of course I am, but I'm going to be paying more attention to these defensive backs and how they're performing. Absolutely. Well, one thing Fahoku uh, talked about was being winded. And so they may have the most uh, physically fit defense in the conference by the time play starts, So, uh, which also helps with depth. I mean, you're going to have to be changing out. If you're practicing against a, a, a fast-tempo offense all the time, you know, you've got to have some of these younger players come in and get these guys some wins. So uh, who knows? I mean, there may be a little advantage on that side. All right, Shane, let's jump on down to Rocky Top. Talk about your squad here. And this seems to be the hot topic right now in Knoxville. It's not even so much the team, but it's the damn Jeremy Pruitt and his program hyping up this spring game, trying to get people to come out for the game. Uh, Let's jump to Jeremy Pruitt's most recent comments. Uh, that seem to have got some Tennessee fans hot and bothered. But, you know, spring's a lot of fun, and I know uh, our, our players are excited about it. We have lots of competition, you know. Uh, we have far more competition this year uh, than we had last spring. Uh, so uh, we got guys pushing each other every day. It's been a competition every day. So, um, you know, we, we've had winners and losers. So whoever who wins, the other team watches them run after practice. So, um I think our guys have competed hard this spring. I think other night I thought the scrimmage was was really competitive. I thought it was a lot more physical than it was in the past. Um, you know, and I and I anticipate us improving this week. Uh, the next time we go to the stadium, um, I, I hope to see us play faster and more physical. Uh, you know, and then we've got 11 days, 12 days to the orange and white game and. You know, when you put as many fans in their stadium as will be there, I think that kind of will amp the guys up. And I think it's a great opportunity. You know, there's, there's um, the best recruiters you have uh, are your players to start with, you know, because uh, they know what goes on day in and day out. And we got really good recruiters on our, on our team. Um, you know, the next thing is, is just the passion of the, the fan base, uh, everybody associated with the university. So, you know, with the recruiting period and and moving, um, you know, the signing days up and all that deal, you know, the, the timetable has moved up in recruiting. So, you know, the more people we have in Neyland, the, the better selling point it is for uh, our football program, the University of Tennessee. And- all right, Shane, so do you take any issue with this? I'm trying to figure out why this is such a big deal. I know, I mean, I understand Tennessee's not been that good, so maybe the product is not that good, but... Hell, I mean, who doesn't want to come out to a free game at Neyland Stadium if you're in the surrounding areas, you know? 
sometimes I think we just find stuff to fight about, you know? Like, <laughs> I mean, every coach wants the the stadium full for a spring game. Why is it a surprise that Pruitt does? Pruitt doesn't have the damn hot videos and all that stuff, getting everybody pumped up with propaganda, you know? It's just, he's just... He's just a coach just saying, hey, we'd love for you to be there and help us out. You know, you got to remember there's some people that are going to be on this team that's never played in front of a crowd. Do you think that crowd noise is going to, you know, help them, you know, mature on the field? So I think, you know, there's some definite advantages and it's free. I mean, I, I remember going to orange and white games when I was a kid. I got a picture with Johnny Majors down there on the field, you know, running around with their little notepad and get their autographs from all these football players it was a big event it's free so you know i I, i'm with pruitt i want to see him out there uh there's not going to be two there's some people that don't have opportunities to go to a football game well now you do so i think it's a great event especially for kids and uh and it's beneficial for the university because there are going to be a lot of kids down there on the sideline and if we come out with a record-selling attendance for uh for a uh orange and white game i mean that's that's that speaks volumes to our fan base instead of bitching about it online <laughs> yeah and i've been on record that i think this is important but you know i think it certainly can be overstated because if tennessee has let's say forty thousand fans show up or if they have mm-hmm. sixty thousand, is that really going to make a damn difference i i don't think so i think w- mm-hmm. when it makes a difference is you know i'm not trying to be disrespectful but if you maybe like Vanderbilt, when you have like a thousand people show up, I mean, I think that would be terrible for a lot of these major programs. You know, mm-hmm. that's what you're trying to avoid. I know Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State; they've been full at capacity. But last time I checked, those teams are kicking ass on the field too. So there's a lot more yeah. reason for fans to want to show up. Uh, and Nebraska's also been selling out their their spring game, and yeah, I mean, it's not helping them on the field. So. I, I think that's overstated as long as there is fan support. But once once you get down to uh, just like dreadful <laughs> attendance, that that's <laughs> when you have a real issue in my mind. Absolutely. And it's, it's you know, if Tennessee had the number one recruiting class last year, you're going to have a lot more people interested. You know, you know, we, we had some great recruits. Most of them were offensive line, you know, and, but if you had some, you know, a quarterback or something like, you know, the best quarterback, like I would imagine Auburn wants to get out there and see what Bo's doing. You know, mm-hmm. I would, you know, some of these, and that guys was that big had for Georgia when they signed Jacob Eason, they all wanted to come out and see this, this kid they've been hearing so much, throw the ball 80 yards through the air, see if he can do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the recruiting classes create some of the hype. Plus if you're on the upward swing, if you got a lot of people coming back. So, you know, when Bush was there and we were on an upward trend, I remember going to that orange and white game when it was the first year that, uh, uh, what's the kid's name at left? Heard, uh, heard mm-hmm. Jalen, you know, I wanted to go, I went out there. I wanted to see Jalen, man. I thought this guy is going to be a stud, you know, and we, I wanted to see what our offense was going to look like. I remember, being excited about the spring game, you know? So I, I think if you fall in love with the players, then you're going to enjoy any spring game you go to. All right, Shane, one thing with Tennessee I did want to ask you about, something that actually does matter instead of spring attendance, Jawan Jennings' comments on the strength coach, Craig Fitzgerald. I think this is uh, obviously weight 
training staff people. That's a topic every every school. <laughs> but at Tennessee, mm-hmm. where they've turned over strength coaches, I think four out of four years before Fitzgerald arrived. Uh, I think this is kind of one of the bigger developments going on here in Knoxville, and Juwan Jennings kind of put it best here. Healthy now. I'm feeling really good. Um, this uh, offseason has been a great offseason for me. Coach Fitz has uh, done a fabulous job with each and every one of us. Um, I feel 150% new player, so I can't wait. Yeah. What, what is it about Coach Fitz that like makes you guys better and healthier, do you think, specifically? Um, I just be flat out honest. We go hard. We go hard uh, each and every day, and um, it's a it's a it's a hard I've never experienced since I've been here. I just be honest, and um, Coach Fitz has pushed each and every one of us um, to bring out the full potential uh, that we all possess. And it's just you know a lot a lot gratitude goes towards Coach Fitz because he's just done a, a phenomenal job. All right, Shane. I know this is uh, a lot of people think it's an overrated topic, but like I said, I think it'd just be a little bit different with Tennessee because it's the first time they've had some continuity in a long time. Uh, how big are these comments, do you think, from Juwan Jennings? Oh, I think it's, it's big. You talked about the turnovers. You know, you're talking to a wide receiver here that's been at Tennessee for eight years. You know, he's seen <laughs> he's seen a lot of coaches, a lot of uh, strength and conditioning coaches come through there. And, uh, and, of course, Juwan's always been a dog, man. He's always, you know, had a little pep in his step. But it just seems like he's a little bit more excited uh, talking about how healthy he is is the healthiest he's ever been. So I'm really excited about the development of Jawan. I think a lot of people forget him. You know, I'm sure he stands out to Georgia every now and then, but uh, I think he's going to be um, he's going to be a, a topic by the end of the season, especially if he stays healthy. All right, Shane, let's jump to the SEC West. Let's talk some Alabama football. Roll Tide. Where Nick Saban met with the media recently and. You know, he, he's a very guarded guy. He doesn't give away a ton of information to these pressers. It sounds like he's feeling pretty good about his running backs. They're going to have, obviously, some running back turnover this, this offseason there in Tuscaloosa, and they've still got some guys showing up. Looks like uh, they're still still waiting to get, you know, some contributions from some freshmen in the next couple of years. But the biggest thing that I thought Nick Saban had to talk about was just a lesson he learned from Bill Belichick you know, any any time old Saban can drop that name. You know, it helps. Yeah. It helps in recruiting. It helps. It's going to grab headlines. I think he knows exactly what he's doing here. But he made a great point. Uh, so let's jump to what Nick Saban had to say. And uh, I just thought this was another valuable lesson here. Well, I think you learn a lot about individual players' ability to, um, you know, go play. Um, you know, I think good coaches are trying to reinforce players in practice after every play. So they're telling them you did this well or you need to do it this way or you made a mental error or you're getting corrected or you did a good job or whatever. So you're trying to reinforce guys on every play. Well, sometimes players you know, are kind of depending on that reinforcement all the time in practice. But in a the game, there's no coach out there. Um, and, you know, I used to coach like that when I was an assistant and um, we'd, we'd have a scrimmage at the Cleveland Browns and, you know, Belichick would chew my butt out, man. And he'd say, let the players play. And I was like, wow, I never had my butt chewed out before for coaching, teaching. But I have to say the same thing sometimes to our coaches now. 
right, because it's a time where you just got to let the players play because in the game, they got to know what to do. They got to know how to do it. They can't depend on somebody else to make a call for them. They can't depend on somebody else to recognize things for them. So we actually do stuff in practice now. When we do team over the field. I make the coaches get off the field, make the calls, let the players play. And when you get in a scrimmage, then they're more ready for the scrimmage because they got to go out there and execute and make their own calls and do things on their own. So um, that's the next step of guys being ready to contribute and play. It's different to be able to do it in practice than it is to be able to do it in the game. All right, Shane. So what do you make of that? He got yelled at for coaching <laughs> when he was in the Cleveland Browns. Dude, I, I, I swear, we keep hearing more about Belichick down there in Alabama. You know, I, you always see a picture coming out. You don't know. It's Saban's wife taking it. So, <laughs> oh, man, I, I just I think this is great. You know, I, I kind of. It makes you think of him as a person for a second, and uh, we all learn. And sometimes it's best, like he said, to let these players do their own thing. I mean, you're not going to be out there, so you can't tell them what they're doing right or wrong when it really matters. So sometimes it helps if your players can communicate with each other and fix a problem, you know? Yeah, and this is kind of my big thing. I always think these coaches are overrated. And I think it's more about the players. And, I I mean, that's kind of what it boils down to here for Nick Saban because you can call the perfect play. You can, you know, have everyone in the right formation. You can have everything perfect. But in an instant, you know, something, a variable could, ch- could change. Someone could slip. Uh, you know, the coverages could switch. The, someone could go into a shift in formation. I mean, anything and everything can happen. And it's it really comes down to the players, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. So I think that's kind of like his way of, put, of saying that here. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I, well, I, heard, I just thought it was a valuable lesson there. And you heard Tua talking about it earlier this uh, offseason, you know, about Clemson hiding their their – their fronts and moving around and scheming different and stuff, you know, I, I'm sure he'd love to have called a timeout and talk to, you know, the offense coordinator and say, Hey, you know, Mike, what, what are we going to do next? You know, but um, you couldn't do that. So maybe some more, you know, practices like this, hands-off practices will help them in case they ever come up to a situation like they did at the championship game. Mm-hmm. All right, Shane, sticking in the SEC West, let's jump to Fayetteville, Arkansas, well, old Chad Morris met with the media, and I know we kind of talked about this a little bit, but he's had a response to it. His offense won the practice belt for the first time this spring oh, football. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know, I just really wanted to I, – I thought these were the best comments he had. Old Chad got his voice back. He wasn't screaming as much. I think he's just happy his offense won. Uh, so here's <laughs> Chad Morris on not only that, but uh, on the toughness and competitiveness – that uh, just introducing that belt has brought to his team this this spring in Fayetteville. I thought it was a really good day offensively, probably one of the best days that they've had this spring. They've won the belt today, which was uh, which was good. Uh, they've been close, uh, but turnovers have uh, prevented that. Uh, today was was uh, um, they did much better on the turnovers. While we still had two turnovers, uh, they uh, they were able to execute on first down and, and some big plays and with opportunity to win the belt. That was good to see. Before you left for spring, you said that the team's got to keep getting tougher. So the attack drill was instituted after that. What, what do you make from that standpoint? Well, I just it's a mindset. It's what it is. It, it's, it's, a, it's a mental and physical toughness that we've got to have and we've got to be better at as, as a staff, 
as a team, um, from a strength staff. I mean, everybody, the whole program. And, and that's been an emphasis that we've had. I don't want to hear excuses. Um, you know, excuses take away from that mental and physical toughness that we're about. And so we've, uh, we've tried to incorporate drill work. Um, and obviously, competing for the belt has helped. I think that's been a huge thing for us. Um, and, and again, you know, obviously you've seen some of the drills that we're doing and we're going to continue to do that. We'll do some more of those on Thursday. But um, I, think it's, I think it's helped. I think this football team, again, we're not where we need to be, but we're getting a lot, a lot better. All right, Shane, I'm starting to buy more and more into this guy. I don't think, obviously, he's got the players to, to make any real noise in the SEC at this point. But if the players, you know, all these little things he keeps introducing, they're kind of hokey. They're kind of high schoolish, but that's his roots, and he's been very successful with it. Uh, what do you think of these comments he had here? I like it, man. I like the belt. Um, you know, I didn't. The, everybody's. You know, I didn't like our trash can. I didn't like Florida State's backpack. You know, there was some. <laughs> there's, you know, coaches do a little bit of everything to to get these. You got to remember, these are kids, so. Um, I think the belt is a great idea, you know, kind of making it competitive with the offense and defense. I am a little worried about Arkansas. Obviously, you know, he did say the offense won today, but they still had two turnovers. So it's like, is your defense really that good or is your offense really struggling? You know, that's that's what I'm worried about. Uh, granted, they've got a they're going to have a new slate of quarterbacks and and they're going to be learning some new things. But I'm a little worried about Arkansas's offense, man, because I don't think their defense is going to be, like, lots out. No, I, I don't think it will, but I think it'll definitely be better. And obviously now that they got better quarterback play, I think the offense will take that next step. It's just really about how how big of a leap they can make. Mm -hmm. uh, and getting Nick Starkle in, I think that'll certainly help. It'll add some competition to that quarterback room because I don't – I don't really think there's much there right now. It's just Ben Hicks, and I think it's just kind of his yeah. show. And the fact that he just showed up about a month ago kind of shows you where they were at there. But I don't know. Like I, well, like I said, there there's some players away, but I just like the direction they're going. Yeah, and, and I think, honestly, out of most teams in the SEC, the biggest contributors for Arkansas aren't even on campus yet. So I don't want to read too much into spring ball. Uh, because when they get these freshmen in, I think we're going to see a lot more of them playing at Arkansas. All right, Shane, let's jump back to the SEC East. Last team we got a note on here, Kentucky. We haven't done them in a little while, but we just haven't really found a lot of good content for them. But old Mark Stoops met with the media here recently and was talking about Terry Wilson and the improved passing game of the Wildcats. I mean, Benny Snell obviously gone. Uh, I, I believe old, old Bunchy, Bunchy's gone. Nope. So, <laughs> she done did it again. <laughs> they're going to need this offensive passing game to take the next step, and that's kind of what Mark Stoops talked about here. Yeah, they're, they're more efficient, throwing the ball good. Terry's really done good. Gunner had one heck of a scrimmage. He really, I was really impressed with Gunner. Of course, our twos right now are not, uh, you know, we're not, you know, defensively there are twos. The depth isn't what, what I'd like it to be, you know, right now. So you definitely feel a little different. I stand back there behind the quarterbacks, but not to take anything away from Gunner because I've, I've been really impressed with him. He's played really well. And again, Terry, I'm not you know, taking anything away from Terry because just in general, we're throwing the ball better. Terry's worked extremely hard and we're improving. Um, but I thought uh, Gunner really had a good scrimmage. <laughs> 
<laughs> By the sound of that can, Shane, I don't think you're buying it. What do you What do you say about Kentucky? <laughs> oh man, we talked about this. Um, you don't have Benny anymore. You can't lean on him. You're gonna have to be two dimensional. And I don't know. There was some some stuff I was reading. Maybe I'm reading into this. It's not that I don't think Wilson's the guy because I think Wilson's mobility is really going to extend this offense. I don't. I but he was really pumped up about Gunner, man. Yeah. Um, you know, now he did, he did, you know, say, that, remember, they're going against the twos and our twos aren't that good right now. But I don't know, man. Maybe we may have a little bit of a quarterback challenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and in addition to that, you know, talking about the depth of receiver, maybe not quite where they want it. Um, mm-hmm. If that's going to be the strength of your team, I mean, that needs to come around eventually. I think. What I think is going to happen is their running game is still going to be quite strong, honestly. I think it will be. Eddie Grant knows what he's doing in that regard, but they just don't have, obviously, the the Benny Snell-type runner on that roster. But you don't necessarily have to have that to be successful. I mean, if they no. if they have a couple of guys, give them, you know, seven to 900 yards, anywhere from that range. If you have two of those guys, uh, I mean, that basically makes up for that lost production. So... Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I still think that Kentucky, a lot, a lot of people are going to be taking uh, you know, the belief that they're just going to fall apart and take a big step. I'm not, I'm not going there. I think, either, I think Kentucky's going to be relatively strong here uh, because in the SEC East, the only team I'm sold on at this point is Georgia, and I think everyone yeah. else is just kind of uh, – they have a lot to prove to me. Absolutely, man. And I like their schedule. Who was their uh, two West opponents? Uh, well, they always play Mississippi State. Yeah, so they're down a little bit. And who was the other one? Arkansas, at home. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I think, you know, we're talking about all these hard schedules at the start of the season, but I think Kentucky has got one of the easier roads. So I'm with you, man. I think I think they can build off last year. I mean, one thing about Stoops, and they talk about every year, he's his record's better than it was the year before. So uh, he does have an opportunity with that schedule, man. Yeah, so they open at Toledo, or at home they get Toledo, Eastern Michigan, and then they get the Gators at home. And, you know, there's not going to be any fear of the Gators. I know the Gators are going to they're going to want that revenge. But, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, Kentucky's going to – they're going to be confident going into that game, especially if they're undefeated. I think so. All right, Shane, that's all the news I got around the league. But uh, we also don't forget this Saturday, it's a big one on spring games. We've got South Carolina at noon Eastern time. We got LSU at two. We got Arkansas at four. And Ole Miss also at four. Ole Miss is uh, their games on the SEC network. Arkansas is on ESPNU. And South Carolina and LSU both on the SEC network. So we got four spring games to watch here on Saturday. I love it, buddy. I love it. This, I did decide next week we we're going to go to the orange and white game. So, uh, you know, if you ain't doing anything, man, take the kids, take your youth group, take somebody, take a buddy. Go to go out to your spring games and support them boys. Yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, there'll be plenty to talk about here next week. We'll dive into some of these spring games. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you got anything before we hop off here? <laughs> Uh, no, Mark, that's it, buddy. Um, you know, it's good hearing the juice again. Uh, I'd like to go up here and check his camp out because he'll be at Kodak, uh, Gatlinburg area. So that's not too far off. And, uh, 
Other than that, man, I just appreciate everybody hanging out with us. If you got yourself an iPhone, those ratings and reviews do do help us out. So if you could leave us a five-star heart. Uh, if not, I just appreciate y'all hanging out with us. All right, Shane, that'll do it. Thanks for joining me as always. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. All right. See you guys. Go balls.